Good morning. This morning we're back to reading several different passages in Proverbs. So follow along. We'll start with Proverbs chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. In Proverbs 12:9, better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. In chapter 15, 15 through 17, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. In 23, verse 23, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. 24, 3 through 4, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And lastly, chapter 30, verses 8 through 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Pray with me, please. Our God, we ask that we would remember that your word will never pass away, although heaven and earth will. May we trust in what you have said. Amen. One of my kids scribbled on my preaching notes today, go, Dad, go. It warms my heart. Speaking of our kids, we're looking at the book of Proverbs and we're focusing on how to raise the next generation, how to parent the next generation, how to teach, and how to disciple the next generation as it assumes leadership of the 21st century in not simply our society, but more importantly, in our church, uh, in the American church. So today we're going to talk about money and wealth and economic resources. Our children notice what other people have that they do not have. You know what I'm talking about? Why can't we have a big house? Why can't we go there for vacation? Why can't I have this sort of thing, as Chris shared with the kids this morning? Uh, But we do the same thing, don't we? A child may covet a doll or a pair of sneakers. Adults may covet comfort or luxury or recognition. Adults may covet the kind of power or the kind of influence that money can buy. Now, money is not an evil. It is a currency. It is a neutral resource, but it can cause a lot of evil when it's mixed up in our own human depravity. And um, our challenge as parents is, and we've already talked about this, throughout this series in Proverbs, our challenge as parents is to cultivate in our children character more than credentials. 
It's not that credentials are unimportant, but you can have really good credentials and terrible character. And so we are trying to cultivate character in the next generation so that they can choose for themselves between wisdom and foolishness when they assume leadership of their household, their marriage, their job, their society, and especially the future church. Now in the West, this concept of character over credentials, in the West, this is going to be a constant battle for us with regards to wealth. Because as Americans, we are consumers. And consumers value stuff, don't they? And consumers value the money that you need to acquire stuff. But American consumers are also individualistic. And so our stuff is primarily acquired for ourselves. But the Proverbs tell us, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. God's economy has a different value system than the world's economy. For the Christian, Jesus has said to you, you are in the world, but you are not of the world, and that should apply to your economics. That should apply to your finances. We are a part of the economic systems of this world, but we are not to be of them. In them, but not of them. And I hope you will see today from the Proverbs that God blesses a family that values righteousness above wealth. And as we talk about money today, as we talk about worldly wealth, we're going to look at what the world values, and we're going to look at what the wise value. And finally, we're going to look at what God himself values. So as we think about money and wealth and how to parent and disciple and teach the next generation, we're going to talk about what the world values, what the wise value, and what God himself values. What the world values is the perception of prosperity, the perception of being successful, keeping up appearances, and for some people, keeping up appearances by almost any means possible. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. As Proverbs chapter 11 describes the wicked, we learn that what the wicked do is essentially steal prosperity. They look successful, they look prosperous, they have everything, they control everything, they seem to never get sick, right? And, and, and to the point where in the Psalms, there's a bunch of Psalms that says, Lord, what's up with this? I'm doing the right thing and I'm getting nowhere and I'm sick and they're doing everything wrong and they're getting somewhere and they never seem to get sick. But it says here in Proverbs 11, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. Dishonesty, conceit, pride, crookedness, treachery. The wicked have a stolen prosperity. It appears that they are prosperous. And this is true from organized crime to white-collar crimes to what the history books call a, a colonial imperialism. As you read the history books, as you scroll through your phone and look at the news feed, or old, if you're old-fashioned, as you read the newspaper, it seems like everyone is stealing from other people their stuff, 
their land and their people. Stealing stuff, land, and people is what the history books are all about. From generation to generation, someone is stealing something from someone else in order to be a bit more prosperous than their neighbor. Now, most of us in the room, hopefully all of us, don't qualify for the kind of false dealing that is worthy of the history books. I don't see any third world dictators here in in, in front of my eyes. And yet, even the middle class and even the poor try to keep up appearances, don't we? We're all trying to present a version of ourselves as a little bit better off, better well off, better funded, more you know, enjoying life more than the next person. And so Proverbs chapter 12 verse 9 says, better to be lowly and to have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Another way of translating that is this, it's better to be a nobody who lives well within their means than to pretend to be a somebody who cannot live within their means. How many luxury cars and oversized homes and glam vacations are funded by credit card debt? And now with social media to help us, we can present the perception of prosperity to everybody in our lives. You can can give a false impression of prosperity and ease and glamour to a thousand people who might be your friends on social media. But the Proverbs teach us that it is actually better to be honest about wealth. And what I mean is honest with yourself about wealth. We may not be, you know, stealing uh, thousands of acres of land or stealing people uh, to make our lives better. It's easy to point the finger at people who have done that. But we still may be presenting a version of our assets and our wealth and our comfort and our power and our influence that is dishonest. And so the Proverbs teach, you know, better to be lowly and live within your means than to pretend to be somebody and not be able to live within the means that you've tried to live within. It's important to be honest with yourself, and that's true wisdom. Honesty with yourself about your own wealth and your own assets. Why is that so important? Because disaster strikes without discrimination. When disaster strikes, it does not discriminate by class and gender and ethnicity. When the wildfires burn, the rich lose their houses just as the poor lose theirs, right? Proverbs 11 verse 4 says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Now, for the ancient Jews, they don't mean the end times. They mean a moment of calamity when disaster strikes. Riches do not profit when disasters strike, but it does say that righteousness will deliver from death. You see, since tragedy levels the playing field for everyone, righteousness is a stronger protection than wealth, the Proverbs say, because unlike wealth, Righteousness is something you cannot lose in a crisis. Righteousness is something you cannot lose in a cataclysmic event. And what does the Bible mean by righteousness? Look, I mean, we can talk about it for a week. Uh, For the sake of time today, uh, we're just going to define righteousness as being right with God. If you want to hear a more more, uh, fuller 
explanation of what righteousness is, you can go on our website, look at the Beatitudes series, and look at the Sermon on the Mount series, because we talk about righteousness in much greater depth. But you can boil the Bible's concept of righteousness down to being right with God. And the Proverbs say that righteousness ultimately, not riches, delivers you from calamity. And actually, Jesus taught that righteousness can deliver you. In his great Sermon on the Mount, he said at the end of it, and you know, the Sermon on the Mount is all about loving God and loving your neighbor. And after teaching it, Jesus says, you know, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And then he says, you know, all hell breaks loose, right? He says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, Jesus said. You see that? So Jesus taught that righteousness delivers us from calamity. But listen to this. George Bailey proved it. I know it's a little early for Christmas, but I can't help myself. I just can't help myself. This is probably the movie that I quote in illustrations more than any other movie, maybe even more than The Lord of the Rings, if you would even believe that. But think about George Bailey struggling financially, discouraged to the point of wanting to end his own life, and in the midst of his calamity and crisis, he is declared the richest man in town. Why? He was in debt. He was probably going to go to prison if his bank, the building and loan, didn't find the money that, was, that Uncle Billy misplaced. The reason he was declared the richest man in town is because in his moment of dire need, everybody in town came to his aid. Why did they come to his aid? Because throughout his life, he was always going without to help everybody else. And so he learned that he was rich because of friends. He was rich because people came to his aid while Mr. Potter, who had all the money and owned everything in town, was alone and unhappy. So there is a sense in which poverty wedded to honesty, honesty about yourself, will lead to true prosperity. True, not the perception of prosperity. As Jesus said when he opened the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So if material wealth only gives the perception of prosperity, what do we teach our children to value most? What the wise value most are the intangibles in this life. The intangibles, what cannot be bought with money, what can't be bartered with goods, what cannot be uh, stolen through power and coercion. We learn in Proverbs chapter 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil. Evil means bad here. All the days of the afflicted are bad, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. You see this? Simplicity, contentment, love, faith. These are the true riches. This is what we should buy and not sell. This is what we should seek like a pearl of great price and not give away. 
So if you're, especially if you are a parent and you have children, or if you're in a position in life where you have an influence over young people, utilize whatever economic status you are in right now, whether you have plenty or whether you are in great want, use your economic situation to teach your children the value of intangibles. You can be rich or you can be poor. And you can still be in a position to teach your children the value of the intangibles. And I'm just going to mention four this morning. Stewardship, honesty, moderation, and contentment. Four intangibles to focus on. Stewardship, honesty, moderation, contentment. Teach your children stewardship. When the church was born in the first century... Acts chapter 4 tells us that in that church in Jerusalem, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. You see that, you see that, um, that healthy tension? This belongs to me, and it is not mine. At the same time, we manage what God has allowed us to acquire. We do not possess it. And teach that to your children. Whatever you have, whatever you've earned, whatever you've been given... You are a steward of that thing, not an owner of it, not a possessor of it. So teach stewardship. Teach, we're going to go quickly through these, uh, teach honesty as well. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Sorry, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Proverbs 30, verse 8. See, he's praying for the exact opposite of how the wicked get ahead in life through stealing prosperity and being deceptive. He's saying, I want just the opposite. Help me to be honest. Help me to be true. Remove falsehood and lying from me. Don't allow me to get comfortable with the means of acquiring wealth that the world accepts and pursues. Help me to be honest with myself. Help me to be honest with my family and with other people. Listen, don't let your kids think that other people can't see your struggles. Don't let your kids think that other people cannot see your messes in life. Great practical example, let people see you inviting people into your house even when it's a mess. Because if you're, if you're always waiting to clean your house, you're never going to have people over. Hospitality is killed by the fear of keeping up appearances. And you will teach your children, it is never okay to be a blessing to somebody unless I've completely got my act together. So we must teach our children honesty with our resources and how we share them and how we present ourselves. But also teach moderation. Proverbs 30, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. There again, give us this day our daily bread. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Our kids tend to covet the things that we unreasonably withhold from them. On the other hand, our kids may also begin to covet the things that we foolishly allow them to indulge in. We need the right balance. If we're always trying to keep things away from our kids, they're going to lust after those things. They're going to wait for you to turn your back to go after them. They're going to wait to go away to college to pursue those things when you're not around. On the other hand, if we're always giving them things, if we never know when to tell them to turn the faucet off, 
We're teaching indulgence and enablement. The wise parent learns balance between withholding things from our children and allowing them to have anything they want. So teach them moderation. And then finally, teach them contentment. Paul said to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's true success. That's real prosperity. Godliness with contentment. Redirecting our children's attention to all of these intangibles can help them develop an immunity against always coveting the things that other people have. Right? If uh, family stories, family traditions, your favorite meal, these are things to rejoice in and to highlight as a parent. You can be poor and still highlight stewardship, honesty, moderation, contentment. Find things to celebrate and to rejoice in and to give thanks for and to enjoy as a family that don't require cash to make it happen. And you will help begin to distract your children from the types of things that they will covet. And it will help you as well. The wise and the righteous want most what cannot be bought with wealth. People tend to use money to either dominate or to escape. I know it's more complicated than this, but people use money to dominate others or to escape them. Again, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Notice he didn't say those who are rich. There were plenty of righteous people in the Bible who were rich. He says those who desire it, those who seek after it, those who covet it, fall into a trap and then are plunged into ruin and destruction. He even says that through a love of money, some people have left the faith. One constant in life is trouble. You will never lack trouble and adversity. You can pretty much count on it. And so because trouble is a constant in this life, people in this world will use money to dominate other people or to try and dominate nature in their adversity. For instance, uh, money buys influence in government or with government officials. Money buys better technology so that you can go faster than the next person or get to the moon quicker than the other country or populate Mars uh, before everybody on the planet you know, dies of asphyxiation. I know I'm getting a bit Hollywood here. Money buys better athletic opportunities for your kids. They can get into the better sports clubs. You can be on the road all the time to make sure your kid gets into a D1 school. But people also use money to escape other people and to escape nature as if you could. Uh, money buys a bigger house with more land so that you can avoid things like neighbors and their problems so that you don't have to notice or hear what they're up to and deal with it. Money buys Botox so that you can try and avoid the progression of nature naturally. Money buys alcohol. Money buys grown-up toys that allow you to bury yourself in your hobbies and in your leisure and in your pleasure so that you can ignore the needs 
and the concerns of the people around you, maybe even in your own family. And look, I'm not saying that most of these things are wrong. Of course not. But think about it. Am I using money to dominate people and to dominate nature? Am I using money to escape people and to escape nature? Misguided desires make money a weapon. Misguided desires also make money a panacea. Rather than a resource or a blessing, wealth becomes an idol. That's what people do. And so the prophet Isaiah says in response to that, Isaiah 55, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Here's what God values. He values a relationship with you. This is what the God who, according to the Psalms, owns the cattle on a thousand hills, this is what he values the most, even though he owns everything in the universe. He values you. He wants a relationship with you. And if you're a parent and you're a Christian, you have to assume he wants a relationship with your child. And so the Proverbs tell us, by wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. God values a relationship that brings us into a house that we can call forever home. Jesus, God's son, who had everything and a throne and all glory and honor and praise from the angels for all eternity, became a human being born into a common, maybe even a poor family an earthly father who worked with his hands as a carpenter and taught Jesus that trade, a man who ultimately died naked and penniless without a single asset, whose worldly friends and even his disciples deserted him when he hung on a Roman cross. And yet, the night before he died, Jesus said to his disciples, in my father's house are many rooms. And he said, listen, I am going to leave, but I'm coming back, and I'm going to bring you to where I am. And while you're waiting for me, I am fitting up those rooms for you. Each room is going to be perfectly designed for you. I'm going to go away, and when I'm ready to come back, you have no idea what I've prepared for you, because I'm going to bring you to where I am, and you're never going to get kicked out. And you, and me, and my Heavenly Father are going to be together forever. That is what God values the most. And that's why Jesus died, because it's what Jesus valued the most. He went to death. He went to a Roman cross because he is preparing a home for you. You see, in the end, true wealth is all about relationship. And he would go on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one gets into the house except through me. And so Jesus, by taking on our poverty, think about what he endured. Spiritual poverty, economic poverty, social poverty, political poverty, the Son of God experienced it all. And through his poverty, he made us rich. Rich in his Father's eternal 
blessings. Through his death and resurrection, he has made you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you trust him more than money, he has made you an heir to his eternal kingdom. As Paul would say to the Corinthians, all things are yours. Never forget, all things are yours. Which is why you can be content whether you live with plenty or you live in want. And it is why, no matter your economic situation, you can teach your children stewardship, honesty, moderation, and contentment with worldly wealth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is why Christ's righteousness, not your wealth, Christ's righteousness delivers us from death. God blesses a family that values righteousness, Christ's righteousness above wealth. So utilize whatever your financial situation is. Utilize it. It's an opportunity to to teach our children the value of the intangibles. Kids need most, not money, but your commitment to a relationship. Your kids need most your commitment to their relationship with you. And even more so, they need your commitment to their relationship to a God who promises to save anyone who is willing to admit that they are spiritually poor enough to need saving. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is hard to see what other people have. It is hard to see other people seem to prosper while we struggle for doing the right things. Father, teach us godliness with contentment. Thank you that Jesus Christ, our Savior, became poor so that we might become rich. Thank you that all things are ours in eternity. Help us to live that way right now in the present. And help us to model godliness with contentment to our children who will assume our inheritance, who will assume our worldly wealth and assets, maybe our homes and our clothing and our rings and our model trains and our fancy dolls. But Father, may we labor more intensely and passionately and humbly and consistently as parents and disciple makers and caregivers and teachers to draw them into a relationship with you and the spiritual home and the real home that you're preparing for them and for all who love you and are willing to admit the poverty of their own souls. For Christ's glory and in his name, amen.